Welcome to the Keep Growing at UF podcast. I'm Brandon. I am a trainer on the UFHR training and organizational development team. Training and organizational development has identified key skills that faculty and staff can develop as individuals and as leaders. The Keep Growing podcast will present some of our team's trainings in an audio format so that you can listen and learn at your convenience. Grief is a very normal and common emotion, but it is largely misunderstood. If we normalize grief and grieving, it is possible to have more empathetic and meaningful conversations about various forms of loss in the workplace. After the global experience of COVID-19, it's a safe assumption that everyone has experienced some form of grief. The loss of a loved one or their own health, a loss of identity, time, certainty, safety, the list goes on. Grief is exceptionally common right now, but most people are unaware or unable to identify the emotion. On this episode, we explore grief and discuss ways to identify and discuss it. This webinar was originally presented by Taylor Williams on Friday, October 30th, 2020. I'm really glad to be here. it feels like a really special or even sacred like place and time to be doing this. Um, when I arrived today, Brandon and I were talking about how talking about grief right now in our culture and just in this moment and time is um, is just painfully relevant. Like it's too bad that it has to be so relevant, but it is something that we want to talk about and have dialogue around. So I'm just really grateful to be here. Um, Brandon was letting me know as, as all of you were registering for this morning and our numbers were climbing quickly and it told us a lot. Brandon and I sort of talked about how that really speaks to how this needs to be a conversation at work and probably privately as well. And those are things that we'll talk about today. Um, and we're really in need of this sort of connection. Um, In a strange roundabout way, I've felt incredibly grateful for how in times of separation around the pandemic that I've actually gotten the chance to speak to more groups because we can be together virtually. So I think for me, that's been sort of a silver lining amidst all of the pain and confusion of this time. So I'm really grateful to have you here. Um, So specifically, let's get to today. We're going to talk about grief. And specifically, we're talking about grief in the workplace. So if you maybe logged into the wrong webinar or thought you had registered for a Canvas tutorial, we hope you'll stay, but I just want to set the expectations. It would be like getting on an airplane and someone says, all right, everybody, buckle up. We're headed for Fairbanks, and you thought you were going to Albuquerque. That would be, it would be a very different feel. So I just want you to know um, what, what you're here for, and I hope that you'll stay regardless. Um, before we jump into everything, I really want to get a feel for how all of you are thinking about this right now before we even get started. Um, I imagine that some of you might be taking this workshop with a bit of anticipation, with uncertainty. Maybe you feel scared or stressed or apprehensive. Uh, Maybe someone asked you to do this. I'm not really sure. But in the chat, if you want to use the chat about how are you feeling right now about this training, if you want to unmute yourself and and speak into the Zoom uh, environment, please do that as well. What are some of the things that are coming up for all of you in being here today? 
so far hesitance. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah, there's so much collective grief. We're going to get to that curiosity. Um, yeah, it's just been a while. I, um, yes. And I'm trying to keep this anonymous, but thank you for sharing your specific forms of grief. I'm so, um, I feel that gravity and that pain reading that over the chat. Um, intellectually excited, physically a bit sick. Yeah, this brings things up for people. Brandon, if you, it's moving faster. So if you want to help me draw some of these out, hearing the cries of the world, thank you. Something so community oriented and global. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going pretty fast even for me, but um, yeah. it seems as though, like, in aggregate, um, most people who have chimed in to the chat here have lost someone recently, whether it is a family member, more than one family member, mm -hmm. uh, or even colleagues, um, you know, myself included, I, I mentioned in the chat that someone I have known for many years uh, passed away yesterday. So um, <laughs> if there's one thing that I think we all share, it's, it's, it's loss in 2020. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's exactly right. And people are saying there's so much pain out there in different forms. How can we help each other through this? You know, we're all experiencing it, but it's vast. It's heavy. It's like too big to handle anger, loss, depression. Yeah. And that you wake up to loss and heaviness every day. So it's this recurring thing that is sort of potentially re-traumatizing all of us as we go through our day, which is its own amount of heaviness to even just face the reality of that. And what I want to say, thank you for everyone who participated here. These are some, um, this is a great display of exactly why we're here. And whatever brought you here, whether it is a deep um, recent pain or loss or curiosity about how to help or even how much we misunderstand or don't understand at all grief, I'm glad that you're here. And so whatever reason that you're coming with, it's totally okay and welcomed, and you can talk about all of it. So as I invite you to take place in the chat or discussions throughout this workshop, know that wherever you are, you can present with that. There's, um, there's no wrong reason. So let's Real go quick, over. I do, I do want to, um, I want to read one comment that I think yes. may be relevant for, for a number of people as well. Um, so somebody mentioned that they haven't lost anyone but that they want to be able to speak with those and help those who have lost someone recently. So I think that's the other side of the coin right. as well. Right. That's so important. Thank you for that. And um, that idea of collective grief, like it's all kind of around me, but I don't know how to deal with it. Or if someone comes with a specific individual grief, how, how can I be present for them? and be helpful. And we are definitely going to um, cover that and, and hopefully in tangible ways that you can take with you. So thanks for sharing that, being there and being present for other people. Um, yeah, be supportive and present. Great. So in that spirit, this is what I want us to get to today, to be able to recognize the various forms of grief. People think that grief is just grief and it's all about death. 
but it is not. And we're going to go through some of the various forms that people are a little bit less familiar with today so that you can name it. You can know what you're seeing, experiencing, feeling. We can name it. Um, practice communicating about it, whether you're the one who's experiencing it or you're experiencing secondhand through someone telling you. Um, and then also to identify not necessarily the other side, but moving through grief, the meaning making and some of um, the resilience and growth that can come through that and some of the misperceptions around what meaning making and growth from grief looks like. So those are the things that we'll be getting into today. I think it's fair to say that 2020 will never be labeled a year of fun uh, and joy for most people. <laughs> um, much as, as many of you have experienced and uh, shared in the chat. There's a lot of ways we've experienced division, doubt, uncertainty, pain, and confusion during COVID, but also the political and societal unrest that we're all feeling. So it's not all just COVID related, right? I think there's a lot going on societally and in our communities, but the other thing we have to keep in mind is that our lives outside of COVID and what's going on in our society are still happening. So regular life, even though it looks different, is still marching on. And it's messy. It's messy even because all of these other things are going on, but we can't negate that we're still living our lives. Um, on the other hand, there are a lot of ways that this very divisive and hurtful time has unified us. And, and a course like this being one of those examples where we're choosing to be together and engage in some tough dialogue. And that's why I'm here. I want to talk very openly today about how sadness and loss are normal and super, super common. I want to normalize them. And that talking about it at work is not impossible. We don't need, uh, we don't need our work environments to be emotional wastelands where our feelings just go to die. <laughs> and that there are tangible ways to express grief and to listen to grieving. Um, let's start here. So I want to know as background in the chat, or again, you can unmute yourself, where have you been invited to talk about grief or loss in the workplace thus far in your life or not? There might be stories of like, hmm, that's not welcome here. So in either case, where have you been invited or discouraged from sharing grief at work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Not so much at work, maybe amongst friends is has been a lot more safe or invited. 9-11 was the time, absolutely. And I've heard that analogy made to 2020 a lot as being on that collective form. Um, a supervisor, so maybe leadership reaching out or being encouraged to go talk to a supervisor, which can be very difficult if it's like sort of secondhand um, coworkers. Right, so someone is saying that a lot of people aren't comfortable with talking about it. So it may be that you're not unwilling, you, you are you know, desiring to, uh, but that other people aren't comfortable with it. And I think that's common everywhere, not just at work. Um, yeah, and coworkers reaching out, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, and, and, some, and, and sometimes when it's something that happens in the office, it sounds like. Yeah, after the George Floyd murder, um, that, about that collective grief, but yeah, not in a personal way, right? So sometimes 
we're invited to talk about it when it might be externalized or on a community level, because we're all hearing about it and talking about it in the news. For some of you, you may feel like that wasn't even on the table. And that's that can be traumatizing in and of itself to have people act like there's nothing going on. Um, that's a very layered issue in and of itself. Yeah, friends um, coming to a family member's funeral and expressing that. These are all great examples. Thank you. And feel free to keep sharing those. We're going to get other opportunities to talk about those as well. Um, yeah, people not being open to discussing it. Great. So sometimes we have formal environments where there's a death and dying class, like someone mentioned, or you have to really seek out something, but not necessarily uh, in the office space. Um, that's great. So I kind of want to get to why me? Like, why am I teaching this particular webinar? I'm not here. I, I can tell you why I'm not here. I'm not here talking about it because I'm a grief scholar or I have a PhD in grieving or loss. I haven't given a TED talk on death and dying or even written papers on the subject. I'm here because I've been through it. And I'm here because I care about people who have been through it and I care about our collective and individual mental health. I've been in the depths of it and I have been in the depths of um, grief related to death, but also these more ambiguous forms that we're talking about today. Um, and I was also fortunate enough to get some resources to help me get through it. Uh, to help me deal with it and get maybe not to the other side, but to make more a meaning out of it um, through my own experiences. Before 2020, I had my own banner year for grief. In 2017, I finalized a divorce that had been kind of um, slowly churning for a couple of years. And um, this picture was taken a little bit before that time. So I had two little kids and a very emotional, as they all are, <laughs> it's even kind of a funny thing to say, um, divorce that was finalized. Two months after that, I had surgery to repair um, several large tears in my abdomen from having uh, babies back to back and very quickly. Um, and that resulted in me uh, getting an infection from the intubation and going septic. Um, it was a very, very scary time and also one where I was grieving the loss of my health and my strength and the certainty around how I was going to be available to my kids and my work and things like that. Two months after that surgery, my best friend, who's in this middle picture at the bottom, Amy, died suddenly and unexpectedly when her a part of her heart uh, exploded. Um, she was like my sister. And when all of those things happened at once, I was... Uh, devastated. My my spirit was exhausted. When people talk about being bone tired, that was me. Um, my nervous system was shot, and I suffered a lot of insomnia, and I just was not myself at 34 years of age. I was kind of like, where where am I? Also, I run a live storytelling organization, as Brandon mentioned, and I teach and I speak on a weekly basis. So there was a pressure to kind of keep it together and to perform quite literally and keep up my, uh, my energy and my outgoingness. And um, so we all have to follow through with our commitments, right? But I was sort of hanging on to these various forms of grief, feeling like I sort of had to hide them. Um, and even though I don't work in a traditional nine to five setting, it didn't mean that my grief wasn't showing up in my work because it was showing up in me. 
So this last picture of me looking like I maybe have it together, it's like a performance headshot sort of thing, was a facade. This was during that time, and I was, I was grieving and broken. So maybe some of you can relate to moments like that. Despite my mental health training, I wasn't sure how to name all of my feelings about loss um, or what to expect of them. Like, where does growth and healing um, and togetherness come from? Um, my personal and spiritual practices that I had in place felt like they were failing me, and I was sort of flailing around. So in summary, I want you all to get a huge takeaway from my own story, which is grief is a feeling of loss not a feeling of sadness that just comes from death. This is a huge misunderstanding we have in our culture around grief. Our culture really attributes loss, grief, and grieving to death only, but it's far more broad. And we're going to get there and talk about, talk about that part of it. Um, so the other thing that I want all of you to know and feel comforted by is that we're all experiencing grief right now. If you haven't and there really is a chance you may not know that or have figured that out or heard something about it because we, again, we don't name it that way. Um, and, and someone mentioned the collective grief earlier. That's exactly what we're feeling, but we're not taught how to name it. There are a lot of feelings and emotions in our world that we're not taught to feel uh, or we're not taught to label them when we are, when we are feeling them. There's something like a, a broad range of 168 feelings or emotions, and we use like 10 of them maybe, probably closer to a half dozen. So that's a really important thing to know. So feel comforted by the fact that you might be feeling it and you just don't know how to, to name it yet. Um, so also, let me see here, let me make sure. Okay, so one thing that I that I think is good to set out before we go through all of these types of grief is that in our culture, really just in the world, we have sort of a schema called our assumptive world, where we have an idea of how things are supposed to go. We have an idea of like what's supposed to be meaningful. We have a belief in I, like the self, is capable, I'm worthy, I'm decent, the world is decent and okay, and a general belief in the goodness of the world. If that doesn't show you how much things have been altered through our collective experiences, I don't know what will, right? So our schema and the assumptions, the assumptive world that we've been taught to understand has kind of been ripped out from under us. And to get more specific into these types of grief that you may never have heard of, um, ambiguous and complicated grief can be tied together. These are forms of grief um, that tell us that it isn't only about death when we experience loss. Um, these forms of grief can be tied to a loss of identity, uh, certainty, predictability, a loss of a certain attribute about ourselves of the world as we know it, or even the loss of control. So these might be ambiguous concepts, but do those feel real or what? I mean, those are really sort of intangible things that we're all feeling right now. Um, the ongoing ambiguity of the major stressor that you might be feeling or the grief um, and can and what, by the way, can even increase in its severity as time goes on is what makes these forms of grieving so difficult. Um, and that's also why we would refer to these kinds of losses as living losses. They might be happening in real time and ongoing 
and, and even getting worse over time. Um, I also want to say is that as I go, if you want to put examples of what you might feel are forms of loss and grief that we're going through right here, if you want to share that in the chat, please do. That's a way we can uh, dialogue on the side here. Um, I think um, one 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 uh, comment that uh, yeah. might be worth um, discussing, and I think uh, I know I relate to it, and I think others might as well. Is uh, I find I'm reading the comment. I find comparative yeah. suffering to be super yeah. hard. Like I can't feel grief over a loss of normalcy during the pandemic because others have had a loss of a loved one, and that is greater. Right. So, yeah, we really sort of spectrumize things, right? And this goes beyond grief, but like, oh, I shouldn't complain about this if someone else has it this way, or I'm not allowed to be sad or stressed out about this one thing if someone else has experienced this, but it's all real, right? And taking away from our own grief or our own grieving experience doesn't help the other person's experience. So we think we might be being helpful in that, but really we, we might be more likely to be helpful to someone else who has experienced a loss, even one that feels greater than ours, by saying, I feel you, by listening, and we're going to get into those steps of how to do that at the end, but in sharing and normalizing those experiences. Thank you for whoever said that. Um, and uh, that, yeah, that's a wonderful point. And with a lot of these things that we're talking about, there's no clear endpoint uh, that's coming up, right? So Brandon was saying 2020 in a nutshell, absolutely. And also, it's not like, well, guys, coronavirus will be over um, on this day. So you can just kind of plan on like power through until then, you know? So there's no endpoint. There's not even sometimes a clear path forward with closure. So this is what makes them extra hard, but also super common. Um, anticipatory grief is one that I actually find really fascinating, um, and I think it will bring a lot of us comfort, hopefully, um, that we have, we're grieving what's to come. We don't know what's going to happen with COVID, with our political and societal unrest, with the election. What about fear of losing a job or losing someone you love or the um, structure of a relationship? Any of those things, it's anticipating the grief. What if I can't pay the bills? All of these are very valid and real forms of grief. Disenfranchised grief is one that isn't recognized by society. And this is one that's wrapped up in what some of you have said already is like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about that. We don't really make that real. I, people aren't asking me, so maybe that's not real. Um, and, and that's where some of the comparative grief can come in. But this is one that's about um, one that not everyone knows about or will recognize, and it could be, um, you know, it could be diversity and our differences within our culture and the lack of understanding and the pain that comes from that. It also makes me think of women who give birth and grieve being pregnant. Um, that's not something we talk about, but it's a, a form of loss that people feel like they've lost um, this beautiful side of creation and their body and things like that. Um, so there's some really interesting examples of disenfranchised grief. Non-finite is also similar to some of the things we've talked about, where it could be a loss of expectations, but not something tangible like a job or a person, um, something that doesn't go as planned. Again, something that, you know, with COVID, I've heard the example of, I thought things would be normal by now. 
you know, we did, and, and we don't know when that, and I thought, I thought that COVID-19 would give me a chance to get healthy, and I'm not, I'm not in better shape, I don't feel healthier, which is, that's okay, please have some grace for yourself if that's you, oh my gosh, but these are ways that we're experiencing that, and lastly, I want to mention secondhand grief that I imagine a lot of you are experiencing alongside your own personal individual grief, which is experiencing it from someone else, um, secondhand in that regard, um, or something that might even happen as a result of a, an original loss. So for some of you, for example, you might be at home with your children and homeschooling, which is already hard enough to balance the, um, and the grief of the normalcy of I'm not doing my job in the normal way, my kids aren't in school, they're struggling, I'm struggling, and it's kind of a grieving process that gets intertwined. Um, yeah, so someone is even saying, like, I love movies. I'm not sure that I'll ever see one in a theater again. These are great examples because they are so widely varied. Um, so I'd like to know, and I, and I imagine some of you are have been sharing this in the chat. If anyone wants to talk about this, this would be a great time. What are the types that really that you connected with in that previous slide about the different um, types of grief? What have you experienced? Uh, someone in the comments um, wrote that they experienced both comparative and disenfranchised grief uh, when they had to have emergency C-sections instead of natural births because the baby was healthy and, quote, that's what matters, unquote. Hey, thank you. Yep, absolutely. That's. I think that's a really, really common one it's like the baby someone else has actually since then said that they feel felt the same way and um and added to the to, to their experience as well yeah the inability to breastfeed things like that and that, that they can be crippling yeah absolutely um yeah and and that's great a comment from someone saying i'm pretty sure i've experienced all of them but and at just at different times they show up differently um yeah, because of marginalization in one form or another. Yes, thank you, exactly. And and then how sometimes things can feel so out of your hands and so big um, and that loss of control. Yeah, rethinking your life and your your plans. Yeah, losing, knowing that you're going to lose someone to, to something and you don't know when that time is coming. Yeah, it's hard to plan around that. I'm um, in balancing work and, and um and your personal life. I, f I felt robbed of my future plans and aspirations. I think that sums things up for a lot of people right now as well. Great, keep, keep sharing these for sure. Now here's the next thing that I want to talk about. Um, and, and maybe this even feels abrupt. I just wanna make sure that I cover this piece as well. Grief doesn't have to have an end point. And I think that's what a lot of you are sharing here is the uncertainty of an endpoint. But one thing I think that we misunderstand about grief and the grieving process and loss is that there's some sort of expectation, at least in our culture, that it's like, hurry up and get it done already. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to feel it anymore, which is a legitimate uh, observation. But also sometimes we feel hurried by other people. 
Um, maybe you grew up or were trained professionally to think that grief had this endpoint that you went through five stages in a perfect uh, laid out order that was logical, and then it would be over and you could move on. And that's not true. You may be familiar with the stages of grieving um, by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's one of the you know leading experts in grief. Um, but there's no right way to do it. Even her steps can be controversial in cer certain circles, but there is no right way. It's not an A to B process with no clear end in sight. Um, and things are going to happen to us along the way where we're wanting to feel healing and resolution and light at the end of the tunnel, but it's very hard to get there. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's um, stages of grief or her more general work, but sort of her right-hand man, her fellow researcher, David Kessler, came up with another stage. It has also been quite controversial um, for some in the grieving and mental health community. And I, I'm not necessarily advocating it or, or making a case for David Kessler or anything, but I do want to discuss this part of the grieving process, which is meaning making. Um, his work has been geared towards the healing and chance to see that light at the end of the tunnel, even imperfectly. Um, it's not, he's very clear to say, and I think this is just important for everyone to think about and to know, that it's not about saying, oh, that death was meant to be. Now I get it and I can make some profound summary of why that happened. Um, or my painful job loss was for the greater good of society and I'm supposed to see it that way. No, meaning making isn't so that you can become less so other become greater or, or tying something up into a neat and tidy bow. In fact, David Kessler, after working on the forms of grief, lost his own son suddenly and unexpectedly and all of a sudden started experiencing for himself what a lot of people had experienced through his work of finding resilience, meaning making, and some post-traumatic growth on the other side. So he started to study it and write about it. So it's about finding the next level of healing, if you will. If I were fully healed from my experiences of 2017, I would be in this webinar telling you like, it's all good, it gets better, and a resolution comes. But I'm still experiencing parts of all of the, you know, bits of grief that I told you about. They still come up in my life. They haven't gone away. My best friend didn't come back. You know, uh, my kids ask me about my divorce. You know, all of these things. I struggle with insomnia sometimes, right? So because that hasn't ha been how it's been, I will tell you that it's gotten easier and it's gotten more manageable. And I've had the strength to ask for help, which I needed, and get resources. So there's been a deeper insight and healing and a chance to grow through new perspectives. So that's what I can tell you is that there's no finite end. There wasn't one for me, but that there were ways through. And some of them have been very slow and some others have happened more quickly. And I think that's the way a lot of life works actually. Um, I love this comment. I tell people struggling with loss that time doesn't heal all wounds. Thank you for telling people that. It makes them different, at least in this person's experience, and you figure out ways to deal with them. Amen. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, you know, sometimes just making sense. Yes, yeah, so some people are saying 
that they were feeling their grief through anger and frustration in that devastation. Also, anger is another great example of an emotion that we are not taught or really encouraged uh, to use, but there are ways to use anger very effectively. Oh, the grieving person's bill of rights. I love that. Yes, that's a great, thank you for putting the, um, the link in there to that. And we have the right to experience grief attacks. Yeah. For those of you who have experienced grief or panic or extreme stress, you may know that it pops up at very unexpected times. You may go over to your coffee maker to make your morning coffee and, and the smell reminds you of being with someone that you loved and it's just waterworks. You know, you don't, you know, when you're driving and a song comes on and you, you we just don't know and we don't have to control them. Um, yeah, people are, the right to treasure your memories, wonderful. Great, these are all so good. So what I want us to do is um, talk about our blue sky moments. And, and this is kind of what I've come to think of is like when you can see the clouds part or you can see the horizon again, there are moments of maybe hope or realization, not that things have been fixed, but um, more that it's almost like it feels as if you're thrashing around in the throes of grief in your life and someone or something, a circumstance throws you a life raft. That's sometimes what it can feel like. Um, I want to give you a chance to chat about this a little bit with each other. So what we're going to do is utilize the next, um, Brendan, let's say the next 10 minutes um, to do some breakout rooms where all of you will get the chance to spend some time talking about these blue sky moments. If you haven't had one, great, share that too, or some of the ways that you've talked with people um, about making meaning of resi or resilience of loss. So again, what we're going to do is Brandon will put us into breakout rooms for about 10 minutes. And what are bl the blue sky moments or meaning making moments you've experienced within grief? Okay. And uh, each room should have about four to five participants in it. And I'm about to send you all into the rooms. See you soon. I'm so glad. Reports of great sessions, always a good thing. And it's it's tough, right? With an hour, we know that we have limited time and there's so much conversation to be had. So I want to make sure that I also address our objectives of, of talking about this with with colleagues or really anyone in your life. You can apply it as you will. So I want to get to that. Thank you for reporting that the um, breakout groups went uh, went well. Um, so let's talk about how we can help each other and ourselves get through this even at work. Um, I think not shying away from your pain or other people's pain, being willing to simply ask, how are you doing? Like a very simple question can totally break people open. And you have to be ready to hear the answer that like, I'm doing really awful right now. You know, I think sometimes we don't ask because we don't know if we can handle hearing that answer, right? So be willing to ask and to hear that. And sometimes all you have to do is nod and be like, yep, that makes a lot of sense. You know, just really accepting and actively listening to what people are expressing. Um, more people share that, or a lot of people share that they hear things like, um, you know, like you'll be fine or it'll go away or it will get better or here's the Kleenex or whatever. But really a great thing to say is like, this is just so awful or so hard. There is no way around this right now. It's so difficult, right? 
Or one time after Amy died, a friend said to me, this just sucks. It was like, that was the best piece of feedback I ever got. I was like, yes, that sums this up. It's terrible. So just being able to not try to fix it. We want to be fixers and helpers, which is great intentions, but it doesn't always help someone as much as we think it would. Um, we can also help to encourage people. And when we get into supportive ways in the workplace, we can encourage people to find what works for them in their healing, in making new habits, in building new rituals around the thing that they lost, or kind of putting their lives and their schedules back together. The major thing that happens here is it helps them redefine the narrative. And it might be a really slow process, but what's the story around the loss, what you make of it, how you have chosen um, to move forward. It might be helping them find the resources and the help that they do need, because it's going to be different for everyone. So you can sort of love them through that. In a very tactical way in the workplace, you can try to have support groups right now. These can obviously be over Zoom, but do you need to have a small group space in your office where people can come and talk about grief and loss openly? Uh, sort of like this one, but maybe more intimate um, in, within your, your workplace. And have maybe having someone clearly on staff who's a point person for helping people in that way, or having a list of resources where someone can contact a specialist within you after the community, and I'll offer some of those resources at the end. I want to share this video with all of you because I think it's a great expression of how sometimes we think we're helping people and how we are really helping people. So I hope you'll watch this and uh, it will mean something to you. <laughs> so what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, you climb down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. No. You want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time, because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. 
John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. There's so much goodness in that video and so much to learn from such a short um, segment. So uh, I hope that that's something that all of you can use as a reminder or maybe for people who are grappling with the things that we're talking about today. Um, it really helps to talk about your own experiences and sometimes say, like, I don't even know what to do right now and to really listen when asked. Um, another helpful thing that I've learned along the way is that we, uh, it's not as productive to ask why, like, why, why are you so sad or why do you think this is so hard for you? Why questions in this case can be very stressful for people and kind of uh, feel a little bit blaming. Um, but instead we can, you know, say, what can I do? Or even just saying, um, I'm here for you, or I don't know what to say, but I love you, or I'm here for you. Um, we can also use both and thinking um, when we're expressing ourselves and we say something like, I feel hopeless right now, but I know that my life does have hope and meaning. Um, I feel both confident and unsure that I will be able to move on at some point. So these things can coexist. Um, empathy is a superpower, you guys. Um, it's, it's an amazing way to share a space with someone. When I got divorced, some people asked me, have you considered your children? That is not an empathic response. Of course I have. So, but others asked, um, you know, others said, congratulations, or I'm sure that was so hard, or your kids will be great. You know, they, um, both of you will teach them new things. You know, those were all very helpful and productive um, answers to my grief. So um, what happened with me, right? <laughs> I established myself in my business in a super sort of like a funny, messy way through my grief and lack of sleep and, and whatever, but I, I established it. Um, and I, I took some failures and hits along the way. I tried to talk about my experiences openly, but only when I was ready and when it felt like the timing was right and I felt like I was in a safe, open space. I worked on setting boundaries for how much I could talk about things and also how much I was available to other people. Sometimes you're enough in your own thing that you're not available to everyone else. And that is also okay. Um, I also used resources and asked for help, which isn't always something that I'm good at. So I got acupuncture to reset my nervous system, um, kept seeing a therapist who had been helpful um, for, for years. And I, I stayed with her. I didn't break away from her, which was sometimes tempting. Um, and I started to own my life and my work as a single mom with a uh, with a business and just the woman who I wanted to become. I feel like I've stayed in touch with Amy, my friend that I lost, um, and I kind of let her daily presence because I go to text her pretty much every day. It's the weirdest thing, but I still do. And I've kind of learned how to allow her daily presence to be there, and she inspires some of my work and, and my speaking now. So it was partly a little effort on my part, it was, but it was also the support of other people and 
time not healing all wounds, but just time passing and me sort of figuring it out in a clumsy way along, um, along my path. So I just wanted to highlight this thought. Um, each person's grief is as unique as their fingerprint. But everyone, what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That is so important. It, it has a need to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for them. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining, which we just heard. Um, another thought that I wanted to share from David Kessler actually is that healing doesn't mean the loss didn't happen. It means that it no longer controls us. So honestly, normalizing and letting ourselves feel things and vocalize them is a huge piece of this. And there's a complexity in living with the pain and the gratitude, that both and thinking. Um, but it is okay to live that way and to understand that it's not going to happen in the same way for the people around us, maybe even experiencing the same form of grief that we are. It can look that different, and that's okay, too. Um, in the spirit of providing you with some additional resources, there's a fantastic um, article in the Harvard Business Review about collective grief um, and some sort of more ambiguous forms of grief. The, I mentioned the David Kessler um, book, and there's also a great podcast with him and Brene Brown talking about his book that might be fascinating to you. What's Your Grief is an amazing website with all kinds of resources and classes that you can sign up. Um, when they've been recorded, sometimes they're 5 or $10, or you can take them live for CEUs, if that's something you, that might even be helpful to you professionally. There's also grief groups uh, here in Gainesville and some support through UF Health, um, our counseling center here on campus, and individual grief counselors outside of the UF system, if that's what you'd like to seek out. But there is help out there for you. And then just the idea of self-care, that... Um, there are a lot of different ways that people um, manage and name their self-care and the ways that they might feel whole or, uh, or healed. So really um, give credit to those things and ask for them and schedule the appointments that you need to make sure that you are okay. Um, 